Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning, Christ Fellowship. I know we come to church on Sunday ready to pour our hearts out to God. We come on Sunday not only to pour out, but also to be filled up by God, to receive, to get recharged, refreshed for the week. But it's important for us to remember that we are a body. We are the body of Christ. And I tell you, for us to get the most out of church is when we're unified, when we're together, when we get to know each other. When we, I mean, think about it. The name of the church is Christ Fellowship. When we spend that time in fellowship, that's when you get the most out of what church is all about. So I really appreciate you guys doing that this morning. I think it's a very beautiful thing. And even on your way out, I encourage you to reach out to somebody. If you see someone you've never seen before, Just say hi to them, ask them their name. Even if it's your first time here, you know, jump right in, introduce yourself, get to someone, get to know someone that you've never seen before. See, our faith journey isn't meant to be walked alone. It's meant to be walked collectively with the body of Christ. So to transition into the the book of Romans, which we're going to do right now, let's just start it off with prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time that we have together. And as we get into your word, my Lord, I pray that you go before us. Lord, we're all in different Uh, steps in our journey and our path with you, Lord. But I do pray, God, that all of us, in one way or another, take a step closer in intimacy with you. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. So we've been going through the New Testament. So we've we've gone through uh, the Gospels. We've gone through the book of Acts. And as I already mentioned today, we're going to get into the book of Romans. And this is actually a letter written by Paul. Paul wrote this to the the Christians that were actually living in Rome during that time. And the book is rich with theology and doctrine. Like it's like you can, you can nerd out. Like if you really like to nerd out, you can nerd out with this book. Theology, meaning the study of nature of the, of the nature of God and doctrine, meaning beliefs and instructions that we're meant to, you know, guide our lives, the way we're supposed to live as Christians. Uh, And like I said, you can really nerd out with this book this morning. I'd like to talk about the process of salvation. Whenever we talk about salvation, we normally say, all you have to do is have faith in Jesus and you'll have salvation. And that's absolutely true. Like if you want to sum it up to just one little line like that, that's 100% true. But salvation does have a process. And we're going to get into a little bit of that in this morning. And as we go through this process, I'm going to ask you to self-reflect as we go through, you know, different parts of it. Take an honest look at your own place. wherever you are at the moment. And again, everyone's probably going to be in a different place, but I I know by the end of this time, you're going to find yourself somewhere in this process. So let's get into it. Before you're saved, number one, you have to believe that God exists. So you're probably like, Joel, obviously that's the simplest thing in the world. I mean, yeah, we, we know that we have to believe that, but that doesn't mean that everyone does believe that. So the step, first step is you have to believe that God exists. I'm going to read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. And it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven 
against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. See, the evidence of God is all around us. Like everywhere you look, there's evidence for God. This is called general, general revelation. That's like a tongue twister for me. General revelation. God reveals himself to us through nature, through creation, right? If you walk into a house and you see that the house is, you know, uh, organized and fully furnished, immediately you know, all right, someone organized this and designed it. Someone did that. In the same way, it's clear that the world and this universe have been created by design. It's clear to us. But we get blinded by our own wickedness. That's exactly what Paul just said. We get blinded. So this simple truth, the simplest truth you can have, gets blinded because of our own wickedness. Notice what Paul is saying, too. No one has an excuse. God made it crystal clear for us to see that he exists. All you have to do is go look at the mountains. Go look at the trees. Go look at the, look at the skies. Go look at the oceans. Look at the stars. Look at the detail and the complexity of the human body. Look at the inner desire for you to worship from your heart. I mean, everyone wants to worship one way or another. Whatever you decide to worship is up to you. But one way or another, everyone's worshiping something. There's an inner desire to worship. All that yells out creation. All that yells out design. The way Psalm 19 verse 1 says it is beautiful. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. I have to say it again. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. I I immediately regret this next part because that was a beautiful verse. And then what I'm going to share is a piece of a song that I wrote years ago. Before I had kids, uh, I used to have hobbies, right? So before I had kids, I had hobbies. One of my hobbies was to write music. Um, And again, I regret putting my lyrics up right after reading that verse. Uh, But either way, I'm going to share it. Uh, I have to look at it because I haven't read it in a long time. And I'm going to read it slowly. I'm not going to rap it. Okay. So it goes like this. Our actions, uh, the rap will probably come out of me anyway. But our actions come alive first inside of our minds. Yet we're satisfied with earth happening without a guide, without a God. Let me subside. But I wonder if you ever seem to look up to the sky to wonder why you're alive. Wonder when you're going to die and wonder what the in-between should be to make it worth the ride. So thank you for those two seconds of fame. I appreciate it. Um, the, point, the point in those lyrics is that everything within earth has been created by a person. Everything that, forgive me, everything that has been created by a person on earth was first a thought. Anything that has been made by a person was first a thought of a person. All of our actions were, th- were thoughts first. Yet, although everything in nature has organization and yells out design, we're willing to believe that it developed on its own. Like, think about it. Everything inside of Earth has been created by design, and yet we're willing to believe that Earth itself was created without design, without a guide. We're willing to believe that the universe was created without a design, without someone organizing it. But yet nothing inside of it works that way. Nature within Earth doesn't work that way. You know, and and even the things that we make, and yet we're willing to believe that in the grand scheme of things, the biggest things were kind of made on their own. 
See, it should be obvious to us. But we suppress the truth with our wickedness. We suppress the truth with our wickedness. Why do we suppress the truth? Why do we do it? Because maybe it's this. Because if we admit that God exists, then we might have to listen to him. If we admit that God is real, then we might have to obey him. And that's a scary thing to admit. That's a scary thing to accept. In our sinful nature, we don't want to listen to anyone but ourselves. Now, you might be thinking, Joel, you're oversimplifying this. I'm not in denial of God's existence. Maybe that's what you're thinking right now. Maybe you honestly feel that there isn't enough evidence for you. Like maybe you, like legit, you've really thought about it. And for you, you just don't feel like there is enough evidence for you. So let me ask you, how much evidence would be enough evidence for you? Like, what would it take to have, to have enough evidence for you? What if God came down to earth? Would you believe? And yet he did because Jesus came down. And now you might think that was 2000 years ago. I didn't see him. And I get it. Like you didn't see him. Fair enough. But consider this. Most people that did see Jesus physically during that time still didn't believe he was who he said he was. And you're probably thinking, Joel, you just shot yourself in the foot. You're, you're not helping your, your point here. Well, I'll take it a step further. There were still people that saw Jesus resurrect Lazarus from the dead and still didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. How much evidence is enough evidence for you? How much evidence will it take? So the point I'm trying to make is, can you at least consider that there may be other factors that are influencing your doubt in God's existence other than lack of evidence? I'll I'll leave it there. Just consider the fact that maybe there are other factors that are influencing your doubt. If you're struggling with this, if you're wrestling with this, maybe there are other factors that are influencing your lack of, you know, your doubt in God's existence other than just lack of evidence, because how much evidence is enough evidence? So a self-reflection question for you. And by the way, I don't know if I said, I think I said this, but if I didn't, as we're going through all of this, I just want you to kind of think of where you are in this process. So the first self-reflection, do you believe that God exists? Or is this something that you're wrestling with? And if, if that's like, you're answering it to yourself, you're not raising your hand or saying anything to me, so... That's perfectly, just be honest with yourself. Is it something you're wrestling with? If you're not sure, a good clarifying question to ask yourself is this. Do you hope God exists? Like, let's say you're not sure. Do you hope that God exists? Um, Obviously, whether you hope God exists or not doesn't change whether he exists or not, right? But if your answer is no, I I, I hope God doesn't exist. What does that tell you? Like, why do you hope no? I mean, obviously, you're just answering that to yourself, right? So if your, answer, if your honest answer is no, I hope God doesn't exist, then why? Like, what does that say about, about you know, your, your, like your thoughts? What is it that's making you say no? Could it be because that might mean that you have to obey him if he exists? Like, if there's a God that exists, that created this whole universe, that created this earth, that created human beings, it might mean that you have to obey him. Is that what you don't want? And if you do hope that God exists, but you're still not sure, what would it take for you to be convinced? Now, once you believe that God does exist, number two, you have to accept that your sin makes you an enemy of God. 
this is a tough one. Like, this is, this is it. Like, this is probably the toughest one. I know. We want to believe that in general we're good people. The only way to justify our goodness, though, is by making our own moral standards. Because if we're going by God's standard, none of us make the cut. Like, none of us do. Romans 3.23, I'm going to add the A there because it's like the first part of it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our sin makes us all share the status of being enemies of God. We all share that status. Like no one's outside of that group. We all share that status. And in Romans 6 verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. And again, our sin comes with a consequence, spiritual death. Spiritual death refers to an eternal separation away from God in hell. Like spiritual death is completely, basically getting exactly what you've wanted if you've been running away from God your whole life. It's now being away from God for the rest of eternity in hell. But here is where we have the disconnect. Ready? That's why that first, that's why this point is so important. You have to accept that we are by nature enemies of God because of this point right here. If you, if you think that in general you're a good person, then we, you won't believe that you deserve eternal separation from God in hell. You, you won't believe that. To you, that's unfair. That it's unfair. In other words, if you believe that you're generally a good person, then you probably think you deserve heaven, not hell. You, you see that disconnect, right? In response to this thought, let's read what Paul writes in chapter 3. Verses 10 through 18. And he, he basically took a bunch of Psalms, verses from Psalms, and put them together. I didn't know you were allowed to do that. Like, he got special privileges from God. He literally took a bunch of different Psalms and put them together to make verses 10 through 18. As it, is, it says this, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. I already answered it for you, right? There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. God makes it crystal clear in scripture that our sin apart from Christ makes us enemies. We're enemies of God. Now, for some of us, I know there's a crash between your view of of humanity and God's view of humanity, right? Innately good versus innately evil. But consider this. See if you agree with this statement. Ready? You can answer it to yourself. All people are capable of any sin, depending on the circumstance. All people, who's that, Pastor Harold? Pastor Harold, I said, answer yourself. But thank you, they gave me a water break. All people are capable of any sin, depending on the circumstance. Feel free to say all you want, I, I enjoy that. What if you grew up in, because I don't know what you're thinking, right? What if you grew up in a different household from where you originally grew up? with different kinds of problems that you, than you faced? Could you have struggled with different kinds of sin? 
or whatever your moral standard is, whatever you consider evil, do you think you're incapable of committing those, those sins regardless of circumstance? Like no matter what the circumstance, you're incapable of committing those things. Like whatever moral standard you've created, do you think you're incapable of doing those really bad things that you consider really, really bad? No matter the circumstance. I'll add a different one. Often people that commit horrific acts, like really bad acts, right? When you look at their, when you hear their stories and you find out like what their upbringing was, you realize they had horrible lives. I'm not saying that's always the case, but a lot of times when you hear like people do really horrible things, you find out in their life like, wow, what this person went through was horrible. Like how, how could they have had any other outcome, right? Do you think with a similar upbringing, you would still be incapable of committing those horrific acts. I'm not saying you would, right? Like at the end of the day, you still make your own decisions, but do you really think you'd be incapable of those, of those similar things? Would it be impossible? And these are, you know, like just little, you know, um, like things to think about. The truth is we're all capable of any sin, no matter the, I mean, forgive me, depending on a circumstance. In the right circumstance, you're, you're capable of anything. That doesn't mean you'll definitely do it, but you're, the, the ability is there. The capability is there. It's not impossible, right? Don't fool yourself in thinking that you're less capable of evil than someone else. Look at what Jeremiah says in 17 verse 9. I guess I'm cheating too. I left Romans for a second. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things. Like think of when people say, oh, just follow your heart or, or you know, I'm just going by, me. you know, your heart is deceitful above all things and, and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So the self-reflection question for this part is, do you accept that your sin makes you an enemy of God? Do you accept that? This is the hard one. I'm telling you, I know. Is this something you wrestle with? And I get it. It's probably the biggest step. Accepting this, you have nowhere to run but to Jesus. So I get why this is the the biggest one. But if you do wrestle with this, at least be clear with the fact that you're wrestling with what Scripture says about your sinful nature. You're not not wrestling with, with Joel's opinion. You're not wrestling with Christ Fellowship's beliefs, right? You're wrestling with what Scripture says, what God himself says, about our sinful nature. If you want to wrestle with that, that's, 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 I get it. Like you're wrestling with the word, but that's what the Bible says. Don't, don't think Joel's just saying this out of opinion. You clearly see that that's what the word says. Let me ask you another question. What's your standard for good? You know, I'll add a little uh, challenge for you. Make a list of 10 behaviors to live by, to be considered a good person, right? And you probably can't make that list right now in your brain, but imagine you're making that list or or think of a few of them. I wonder if you would be able to live by that list for the rest of your life to perfection. Your own list. Let's let's put God's list to the side for a second, right? Your own list. Could you live by that list for the rest of your life to perfection? Because the truth is, like hopefully you see it even here, We're not even capable of living by our own standards. We can't even live by our own standards, let alone God's. 
I bet none of us could actually live by the standards we even create for ourselves, standards of what would be good. We're fooling ourselves and thinking we're innately good people. Matthew 5 verse 3 says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is telling us clearly here, to inherit the kingdom of heaven, you have to acknowledge that you're spiritually bankrupt. To inherit the kingdom of heaven, you have to acknowledge that you're spiritually, to be poor in spirit means to recognize that you're in dire need of God and you're in dire need of saving. That's what Jesus is saying in his beatitude. Now, as hard as that step is, there's hope immediately after that. So I know that's a really hard step there, but right after that, there's hope. Because number three would be, you have to place your faith in the redemption and justification that comes by Jesus Christ. Those are fancy words. I'll explain those in a minute. But you have to place your faith in, in the redemption and justification that comes by Jesus Christ. See, God is a loving God, and he wants us to enjoy his love. But God is also a just God. And he has to fulfill his justice. He has to serve his justice. He's not going to forsake his justice in the name of love. That's not, that's not real. It's not real love then. He's consistent all the way through. He's going to be loving, but he's also going to be just. That's the God that he is. But he, so he planned a way to fulfill both love and justice. He planned a way to fulfill both of them. And that was done through Jesus redeeming us. The way that God fulfills his love and his justice is through Jesus redeeming us. Jesus redeemed us by paying for our sins with his life. So Romans 3 verses 23 through 25 say this. And we heard this first part. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. See, redemption refers to freeing us from the penalty of sin. That's what redemption is. Jesus bought bought us back by paying the penalty of sin. He paid the cost, which was death. He paid the price of death. His blood was the payment that cleared our debt. So the price of sin was death and the payment of sin was Jesus's blood. Jesus's blood is what made that payment to wash away our debt. The blood of Jesus clears us from the penalty of sin. That's Jesus's redemption for us. And first we have to accept that. Our faith has to be placed on that. By Jesus redeeming us, we're also justified freely. Just like the scripture said, we're justified freely. See, justification refers to um, being treated as if we're righteous. We're being treated as if we're righteous. In other words, redemption, forgive me, redemption frees us from the bad that we deserve. Justification um, treats us to the good that we don't deserve. So they go hand in hand. Redemption frees us from the bad that we do deserve. Justification gives us the good we don't deserve. In other words, redemption freed us from death. Justification gave us life. And another thing too, this is a beautiful thing. Justification puts us in the right standing with God. So not only do we not get hell, but we get heaven. 
That's what justification does. Romans 6, 23, I'll read the second part now. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, not only did Jesus save us from eternal hell, but he also gave us eternal life in heaven and we're justified in Jesus. But our status with God also changes. Prior to that, we were enemies of God. See, don't be fooled. You only have two possible statuses with God. You're either an enemy of God or a child of God. I've heard people say, and this came up actually on Wednesday in class 101. For those that were there, I know you remember this. You know, I've heard people say, um, we're all children of God. And that's a, that's a common misconception. Everyone in this world is not like, we're not all children of God. Yeah, God created us in his image. But guess what? That image became distorted due to sin. God created us to have a relationship with him, but that relationship got destroyed due to sin. So we're not all um, born into a a father-child relationship with God. No, we're born into enmity with God. We're born as enemies of God. In order for your status to change, you have to believe that God exists, accept the fact that you're an enemy of God, and place your faith on Jesus' redemption and justification for you. That's the only way your status changes. That's the only way you become a child of God. It's not something you earn. It's something you receive. It's not something you're born with. It's a gift that's given to you when you place your faith on Jesus' back. Our relationship with God changes. He's now our heavenly father. We're now his sons and daughters by faith in Jesus. Some people struggle with redemption and justification being a free gift. They still, they still try to earn it somehow. They still try to uh, do good deeds to earn a ticket into heaven. Or you, or you might still try to do good deeds to earn your sonship or you earn, uh, is it daughtership? I've always wondered, how do you say that word? Just being a daughter, right? Still trying to earn like being a son or being a daughter. But Romans 5 verse 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There was nothing that we did to earn it in the first place. So there's nothing we have to do or even can do to keep it. You didn't earn it in the first place. So there's nothing you can do to keep it, to earn it now. It's free. It's a gift of love. See, maybe you're sitting here and thinking, Joel, you don't know what I've done. The truth is you don't know what I've done, but it doesn't matter. What I've done is enough to send me to an eternal death spiritually apart from God for the rest of eternity, right? And what you've done is enough to send you into that same condemnation, to also send you to an eternal death, spiritually apart from God for the rest of eternity. We're all, when it comes to this sin thing, we're all in the same boat. We're all on the same side. There's nothing you can do to earn the right placement with God. Our sin is enough to keep us apart from God. Don't be fooled. No one else in this room is less of a sinner than you. There's not one person in this room that's less of a sinner than you. Their sin is enough to send them to hell. My sin is enough to send me to hell. That's where, that's where we naturally belong. There's nothing you can do to wash away the stains of sin on your own. Your stains are too deep. There's nothing you can do on your own to wash away the stains. The only way 
to wash away the stains of your sin is by accepting the redemption and justification of Jesus Christ is by accepting the only thing that can wash it is the blood of Jesus Christ. Only the blood of Jesus can wash away the stains of your heart. Even now, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray that they see even now, Lord Jesus, that you start washing away the stains of their sin from their hearts. May your blood, Jesus, even now in this moment, start washing it away that they may see it. Holy Spirit, that they may see how you're washing them clean. Because, Lord, you're the only way to do it. And I pray that you receive that. If you're wrestling with this, I pray you understand there's nothing in your power. You don't have it. You never did and you never will. The only way is by accepting the blood of Jesus, putting your life on his back. Putting your life on his back and recognizing that's the only way to be in the right placement with God. Your only hope is to bet your life on the blood of Christ. And as a self-reflection, have you placed your faith in the redemption and justification that comes by Jesus Christ? Do you believe that Jesus redeemed you with his blood? Do you believe that you are now justified in the eyes of God? Do you believe that you are now a child of God? Or are you still trying to earn it? This might indicate something. If you're still struggling with this and you're still trying to earn it, this might indicate that you still don't see God as your heavenly father. That might be the reason that you still, and and I I know some people struggle with that. See, my my earthly father is an amazing father. I love him with all my heart. And he's been a great dad to me through in and throughout. But I know not everyone has had that. So maybe for you, it's a struggle to see that. But I pray that you, you understand God as father is way better than any earthly father you can ever have. Even greater than the, the earthly father that I have. And he's a great dad. But my heavenly father is way greater. And he'll say the same thing because he's got the same dad too. He knows it's the same deal. Maybe you're struggling with seeing God as a heavenly father. See, when a child receives a free gift from their earthly parent, The child doesn't feel a burden to repay the gift. No, the child just receives it with joy. It's mom or it's dad. Like they just take it. If you still feel a burden to earn or repay being justified, is it because you don't see God as your heavenly father? Do you still see him as a judge in the sky waiting to step on you whenever you do something wrong? Is that how you see God? How is it? How is it that you see him? Like if you're this far down the list, you believe that he exists, you know that, you know, you're an enemy of God. But if you're still struggling with receiving this redemption and justification freely, are you still trying to earn it? What is it that, how is it that you're seeing God that is making it difficult for you? Here's a question to ask yourself. Do you, do you fear that you might lose your salvation whenever you sin? This is something that new Christians often struggle with. I remember when I was a young Christian, you know, I, I struggled with that too. But see, Jesus' redemption is not so weak that it can be broken by our sin. That would be a weak redemption. That would be a weak payment of, of his blood, that it can be broken by a sin that you commit. No, the reason he was there in the first place is because the sins you committed. But your sins aren't too heavy for him to carry. Like it, your sins, I know your sins are deep, but your sins aren't so deep that his blood can't wash them away. Not only did he die for the sins you've committed, but he's all, he also died for all the sins you're going to commit. There's nothing you can commit, nothing you can do that can make, like that, thing, that can be stronger than the blood that he shed. Our redemption and justification is solely based on who Jesus is and what he did for us. 
Do you receive that? Do you believe that? It's solely based on God's love for us. Now, often we think salvation stops there, but it doesn't. Salvation doesn't stop right there because after you've placed your faith on Jesus's redemption and justification for you, we continue the process of being sanctified. We continue this process of being made holy. That's the process that we're in as believers. Salvation doesn't end with being made or redeemed or made just. Salvation continues with being sanctified. You're in the process of being made holy. It's, a, it's not just a matter of accepting Jesus. It's also a matter of becoming like Jesus. And that's a lifelong process. Let's look at what Paul, Paul says in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Holy and pleasing to God. I'm going to repeat this once more because I hope it sinks in because this is something that we have to be reminded as believers in Christ that we are called to be holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and improve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. See, we enter this process of being made holy. That's what sanctification is. It's sanctification. Oh my gosh. Sanctification continues the process of salvation. And not only do we get freed from the penalty of sin, we also get freed from the power of sin. We get freed from the power of sin. So what redemption and justification did was freed us from the penalty of sin, but sanctification, sanctification frees us from the, can we get those keys, brother? Can we get those keys, brother? Sanctification gives us the freedom from the power of sin. There's a difference there. So we're made to be free from stronghold, the stronghold of sin in our lives. And as a follower of Christ, as followers of Christ, we should be growing in Christ's likeness. We should be a reflection of his image. The Holy Spirit is transforming us to be holy. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. It's making you holy, just like Jesus is holy. If your lifestyle is identical to how you lived before you met Christ, you need to reevaluate your faith in Jesus. I'll say that again. If your lifestyle is still identical to how from when you, you before you knew Christ, if it still looks the same, you really need to recheck your relationship with Jesus, your faith in Jesus. Your faith in Jesus should challenge different areas in your life. Does your faith in Jesus challenge the way you speak? Does it challenge what you watch on television, on your computer, on your phone? Does it challenge the music you listen to? Does your faith in Jesus challenge the way you interact with people? Does your faith in Jesus challenge how you spend your money? Does your faith in Jesus challenge the way you spend your time? Does it challenge how you manage your emotions? Does it challenge your marriage? Does it challenge your parenting? See, you're not going to reach perfection here on earth, but your faith should be developing you and making you look more and more like Jesus over time. If it's just an older you, you really need to check your faith in Jesus. See, the process of sanctification, being made holy, makes us look like Jesus more and more. And this isn't something to be prideful over. In fact, it humbles you. Because as God makes you holy, 
he also reveals to you more and more of your sin. So the more you walk and grow with Christ, the more and more you realize that you need him. Because the more sin he reveals to you that you didn't know you even had. So once you, once God's transformed you in one area, then you turn around and you realize, wait, that was just a closet. This is the whole room. You start seeing more and more. If pride seeps in, if you have spiritual pride, that wasn't the Holy Spirit transforming you. That was self-absorption. That was you. You haven't been transformed. Check your heart. Because holiness should humble your heart. It shouldn't make you prideful. It should remind you that you're capable of any sin depending on a circumstance. And you need to be walking with Christ through and throughout. So the self-reflection here is, are you being made holy? Is the Holy Spirit transforming your heart? Do you see the development of the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Do you see that being developed in your life? Are you looking more like Jesus or do you just still like your, look like your old self? Here's a tough way to find out. If you've been walking with Christ for some time, ask someone that's close to you. And don't do it right now so you don't cause any trouble. But like when you go home, ask someone that knows you, right? And just ask them. I mean, not right now, but when you get home, ask them, have you seen fruit in my walk with Christ? Have you seen me growing? That's an honest question you should ask. And it's not meant to be a punching bag session. It's not meant for you to beat yourself up or this isn't the opportunity to beat up your spouse or anything like that. But I'm sure you can find areas where you still need to grow. But do you see or do people around you see any areas that you have grown? Or even ask God, God, am I allowing you to mold me? Am I allowing you to mold me into the image of your son? Or am I getting in the way? Am I allowing you to work my heart? Or am I getting in the way? And then there's one more step to bring this all into completion. One day our holiness will be made complete. And this is the last part of salvation. See, we thought salvation just happened when we accepted Jesus on the cross. You're still working out your salvation. You're still living it through. Until the day you die, and even then some. Because the last part of salvation is glorification. This is where our sanctification is made complete. When our holiness is made complete. And we receive our glorified bodies. And this only happens when Jesus Christ comes back again. In other words, when a believer dies, he or she goes up to heaven. But it isn't until after Jesus returns in his second coming that we receive our glorified bodies. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And the glory Paul is referring to is the completion of our salvation. And that's the hope that we have. As believers, it's the hope that we have that one day it would be brought to completion and we receive our glorified body. So at this time, If you feel like you need to take a step closer to God, I'm going to invite you to come to the altar and take this time to talk to God, take this time to to make it between you and him. And as we thought about the process of salvation, I want you to look back now and think about where were you? Like, where was I? And I'll even read those in a a moment. You know, I'm going to re-say those self-reflection questions that we shared throughout the teaching. 
And again, just take this opportunity just to talk to God. And the first one was, do you believe that God exists? Do you believe that God exists? Or are you still wrestling with God's existence? And if that's you, again, I would love for you to come up at the altar. But even if you're in your seat and you're wrestling with this, if that's you, pray to God and ask him, God, give me the faith that I need to believe in your existence. Or do you accept that? Maybe you're wrestling with uh, the fact that you need to accept that apart from Jesus, your sin makes you an enemy of God. Maybe you're wrestling with that. And your prayer should be, God, help me, give me the understanding that I need of my true nature, of my sinful nature. Have you placed your faith in the redemption and justification that comes by Jesus Christ? Maybe you wrestle with that. Maybe you still think you need to earn it. So my prayer there for you is that you realize that you can't earn it, but you don't have to earn it because Jesus already paid the price. And finally, are you being made holy? Is that where you are in the process? Are you allowing God to make you holy? Are you allowing God to mold your heart and transform you? Are you allowing God to make you look like Jesus? Or are you still just looking like yourself? If you need faith to believe that he exists, pray for faith. If you need help understanding how deep sin really is, pray for understanding. If you need to place your faith in Jesus' redemption, pray that God give you the faith to believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and his blood has washed away every sin that you've ever committed and every sin that you will commit. Pray for that faith in the blood and the strength of Jesus' blood. And if you're struggling in the process of being made holy, pray that the Holy Spirit continue to work in your heart and make you holy and bear fruit that honors God and glorifies him around, the, around other people that they may see, that you may be a witness of what God's doing in your life because they see the fruit, even if they don't know where that fruit's coming from. Pray that God and the Holy Spirit starts working in you and bearing more fruit to honor him and glorify him in front of others. And we can also pray for the last one, the hope that we have that one day our holiness will be made complete. And one day, after Jesus returns, we'll be raised in our glorified bodies. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for even having access to your word. As we learned in the beginning, God, you give us general revelation where all we have to do is open our eyes and see your glory. But you also give us special revelation, your word. God, the heavens declare the glory of God. Everywhere around us, we see the power and the, the ability in your that you can create, the power that you have. We see you as creator. We see your power, but your word shows us your heart. So we thank you for your, spiritual, your, your special revelation where we get to see your heart. We get to see your character. We get to see who you are, your nature. Lord, I pray for all of us in this time, as we think about the process of salvation, my Lord, anyone that's struggling with believing that you exist, I pray that they may see my God. Even if they hear your voice right now saying, I'm revealing myself to you because I love you. I want you to know that I'm real because I love you. I pray, my Lord, that if anyone's struggling with the understanding that we are born as enemies of God, apart from Jesus, we are 
enemies with you. I pray that they even understand now and even speak to the heart that they may hear you say, the reason I'm revealing your true nature is because I love you and I don't want you to stay there. If anyone's struggling with the, the, you know, placing their faith in Jesus, the redemption and their justification that you offer us freely, and they still think they'd have to earn it, I pray, my God, that you speak to their hearts and you even speak to them now and tell them that they may hear you say, I love you, that's why I did this. And there's nothing else you can do about it. My son did it, that's why I sent him down, because I love you. And he paid the price. And his blood washed your stains. And that's the only way it can be done. And his blood justified you and changed your status from enemy to my child, bringing it back to to the way it was meant to be. You were always meant to be my son. You were always meant to be my daughter. All I did was bring it back to the way it was meant to be. And I did that through my son, Jesus, because I love you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you speak to their heart, that they may see this, that they may understand it. May you give them the faith they need to receive it and believe it, my King Jesus. I pray for all of us believers that are walking with you, Lord, and are being made holy in the process of sanctification, that you are working in our hearts, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that that we get out of the way so that you may mold us and make us look like Jesus. And I pray that even us, we hear it all now, you saying, I love you. That's why I'm not leaving you as you are. I'm making you reflect my son because I love you. I'm making you holy because I love you. And then lastly, Lord, in the hope that we have that one day we'll, we'll see our sanctification, our salvation brought to completion and you'll give us a glorified body and we'll be in perfection as your imperfection and complete holiness. Even speaks into our hearts right now, Lord. For everyone that ever wonders, when is, when is God's... Um, you know, judgment coming on the world, that's going to come one day. But we have to be on the right side of it. And one day it's all coming to completion. And if we're on the right side of it, we'll see our salvation in completion. And even you saying to us now, I love you. That's why I'm sanctifying you. And that's why I'm going to make you holy just as I'm holy. I'm going to make you holy just as my son Jesus is holy. Lord, help us understand that it's your love. Where does salvation start? It starts with your love. That's where it starts. That's where it all begins. And that's where it all ends. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for all that you do. In your name we pray. Amen. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.